of uh, meeting in person, and then meeting in person just feels that much more sweet. Uh, hey, I do want to acknowledge uh, something just as I'm getting started today. You know, last week I talked about deconstruction. We're in this series where we're talking about trying to build a faith that can last. And, you know, I, I kind of tripped over my words a little bit. I said some things I, I shouldn't have said. I said them wrong. You know, I said deconstruction is unskilled labor. And I had the intention to, to talk about the problem with the, the, the phrase unskilled labor. You know, really, it's a little bit of a myth, unskilled labor. People deserve to get paid for their work. And, and, uh, but I got some pushback, and I just have to say, I think, I think a lot of the pushback was actually valid. Uh, and so uh, I think I want to try and be a little more careful in the future to draw the distinction between um, uh, what we might call careful deconstruction and the rage quit, okay? So, like, and I kind of com- conflated those two things and kind of pretended that they were the same thing, and they're not the same thing. Uh, you know, it's, different, it's a different thing to, you know, when a kid kind of throws a tantrum and kicks over a sandcastle and walks away. That's not the kind of deconstruction that we want to see. That's not the kind of approach to taking faith apart that we want to see. We want to see a more careful deconstruction. And so, you know, I was talking about how I, I kind of got my metaphors mixed, and I, uh, I was talking about these guys doing work, uh, doing demo on, in a hotel building. You know, if, if those guys do the demo wrong, the whole, the whole building falls down, right? And so we, we got to do the demo in a way that the whole building doesn't fall down, that it doesn't crush the workers, that, it, that we don't get crushed in our approach to deconstruction. That was, that was something I was trying to say, and I think I got lost, and I failed to say it. So I just want to say I'm sorry, and I didn't, I didn't say that right. Uh, I, I want to be real clear here. Not only is careful deconstruction uh, permissible, but I actually think that in many times in our faith, especially in a lifelong journey of faith, um, careful deconstruction is not only permissible, it's required. And careful deconstruction uh, is, not, is not only not bad, it's actually, it's actually good. When we find white supremacy mixed in with our faith, that's got to go. We've got to take that out. That's, that, that cannot stay in the house. When there's sewage in the floor, we've got to rip that floor out. And, you know, when we see sexism or uh, any kind of prejudice or just ways that our faith doesn't really follow the instruction manual, then we have to tear that out. And we have to, uh, we have to change. And so I just wanted to say, sorry, I said that wrong last week. And, um, you know, we have to do this work and we have to do it well. So today I want to talk about um, kind of a, a load-bearing wall, if you will. Uh, one of the things I think we should not remove when we deconstruct our faith, and that is the Word of God, the Bible. Um, but before we, uh, before we get too deep into it, uh, I just want to acknowledge, in this sermon I'm going to be kind of making a case for why we stick with the Scriptures, why we should hang on to the Bible, and why the Bible is actually like really useful when we're deconstructing. Uh, but first I have to acknowledge that this happens every time we preach a sermon about uh, the Bible, is that uh, you know, there is some circular reasoning that is present in conversations about relying on the Bible. Uh, like, we believe in the Bible because the Bible says believe in the Bible. You know, I, I just have to acknowledge, like, that's a little bit, that, that is here. Like, that's part of what I'm going to say today, and, and that may be unsatisfying to a skeptic. And, and I understand that, and I just, I just want to acknowledge that, yeah, that, that, that is what I'm saying. Um, I would say, though, that uh, if, if, uh, if we were to examine almost any faith or any philosophy or any worldview, uh, I do believe that we also would find some level of, of circular reasoning there. And so, you know, the thing that we talked about last week that, that, that was kind of good about what the, the highfalutin uh, deconstructionists, the philosopher-type deconstructionists, the, the thing that they add to 
the conversation is that they, they really reveal that everybody does have faith in something. That everybody does have faith in something. And so I can't today make faith in Jesus anything less than faith. I can't prove it to you. I can't make it a certainty beyond any reasonable doubt. But I can say some things that I think are true and hopefully say some helpful things about the Bible and about what really is the Word of God according to the Bible and where do we place our faith and our hope and our trust and why we don't ditch the Bible, why we use this book that is super old and and separated by thousands of years. I would say that actually those things that make it kind of hard to deal with are actually the thing that makes it valuable as well. But first, I want to just kind of look and turn to John chapter 1. As we do that, I'd like to pray and ask God to speak to us. Lord, I ask that you would be present here. God, I I just thank you for your presence here. Lord, I thank you for the ways that you're here in the passing comments, in the... um, in the coffee, and the refills, in the breaking of bread, and the prayers. God, you're here, and we just thank you. Lord, I ask that, um, just like last week, if I say something dumb, that it would fall on the floor, um, and that, uh, Lord, that your word would speak to us now. God, would you speak to us and call us deeper into a loving relationship of discipleship and obedience with you this morning? And we just ask for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So in John chapter 1, it says this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Or another translation puts verse 5 this way. Another translation says, uh, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Yet another translation or a paraphrase uh, says this. uh, the, The First Nations version, it says, the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it or put it out. Another way of translating that same verse, uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message says, the, light, the life light blazed out of the darkness. The darkness couldn't put it out. And one of the things I love about studying the Bible today in America in the 21st century is, uh, you know, you, you might want to study a Bible like this. Sometimes I really prefer to study a Bible with one of these paper things because this doesn't have notifications in it. And I'm really distractible, and it's hard for me to not get distracted by notifications. Like, I'll be studying the Bible on my, I'll be reading the Bible on my phone, and somebody sends me a text or I get an email, or somebody liked a picture of a cat or something, and now I'm, now I'm, now I'm looking at that, or I at least have to, just have to make the conscious choice to ignore that. Um, and so sometimes I really like this, but one, one thing that's really awesome about studying the Bible on one of these, and, and having access to the internet is there have never been more tools to make studying the Bible more accessible to more people. The Bible is very accessible to us in a, in a number of translations. You don't have to read Greek to be able to study the Bible in a deep way. You don't have to be, read Hebrew to be able to study the Bible in a, in a deep way, in a, in a way that uh, you really dig in to get to the meaning of what, 
what's being said. One of my favorite re- resources is a, is a uh, website called BibleHub.com, and uh, BibleHub.com, I, I did a little search on this word because I wanted to understand what, what the controversy is in this, in this translation of verse 5 where it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness hasn't either understood it or overcome it or can't put it out or whatever. And so as I was looking at this website, what's really handy is you can look at the Greek and you can say, okay, what's that Greek word? And then you can see where are all the other places that that Greek word shows up in the Bible. And you can kind of get a sense for how that word is used, even if you don't read Greek. Uh, I'll just tell you a little secret. I'm not really fluent in Greek. I, I know enough to be dangerous. I know enough to kind of pronounce some words. Uh, but I'm not, I'm, I, I would like to be able to read Greek someday. That's, that's like, a, like a back burner goal I have for my life, something I want to do. But when we look at this, you can see, well, it's, it's actually the same verse that when it says the woman was caught in adultery, that word caught, that's that same word for the dark, overcome. Like that, 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 that word, uh, when, when, uh, when it says in Acts that they, they understood that the men were Galileans and not educated, what they, when they understood that word, that's the same Greek word. Uh, it, and so it appears kind of multiple times. And so what you start to understand is that this Greek word that means understand in Greek uh, also means overcome, to attain something. And you can maybe think about this like when you attain knowledge, right? When you, when you get something, then you've, you've kind of conquered it, right? You've mastered those skills. You, you, you get it. You understand it. Uh, a Facebook friend of mine, a guy named Dan Heck, he says that the, the, he thinks that the borders of the kingdom of God are marked by puns. <laughs> and I kind of, as a dad, I kind of like that. I kinda, that kind of brings me some comfort. But I think that oftentimes what, what is happening in, in Scripture is some things do get lost in translation, and so I think it's good to be have, able to have access to these tools, really dig into it to see what does the Bible actually say, what's actually going on here. I think this, this Greek word, this idea of, get, of, of overcoming or attaining or understanding, I think it's kind of like, uh, is anybody here playing Wordle? Anybody playing Wordle? Yeah, right? It's that feeling when you solve the Wordle. Right? It's that feeling when you solve a puzzle, when you put the last jigsaw piece in. Or wait, maybe, you know, I, it's a feeling I try to cultivate in, in the students that I teach in a math class. I always say, hey, don't blurt out the answer because you'll steal someone else's struggle. You know, I want my students to be able to kind of struggle through a problem, and then when they get the answer, then they got it. They get that satisfaction of like, yes, I got it. I got the wordle. I got the answer to the problem. The light shines in the darkness but the darkness didn't get it. In fact, the light got the darkness, right? It's the other way around. And so the thing about this verse, though, is that the thing I think that, that God wants to point out to us, and I, I think an approach to, to understanding the Bible and why I don't ditch the Bible that has been helpful to me is to really just think about what's going on when I'm reading the Scripture. What is it that I'm really trying to connect with when I'm reading Scripture? Because I can get, I get real in the weeds here, right? I can get real into the study and the knowledge and the understanding, being smart and being smarter than someone else and all those things. But when I, when I approach the Bible, hopefully... I'm approaching the Bible not just to know something, not just to study some ancient texts and be an expert in it. I'm approaching the Bible because I'm hoping to have some kind of an interaction with God. And I think the Bible is unique in that it does 
give us that opportunity. And so maybe, you know, here, we talked about circular reasoning. Here's some real circular reasoning. Which, which comes first? Does the Bible come first or does Jesus come first? I think that's a good question to ponder. I think I know where I fall on this. I know where I land. I have my reasons for believing what I believe. But do we believe in Jesus because of the Bible? Or do we believe in the Bible because of Jesus? Maybe that's a little bit of like a chicken and egg question, right? Like, which came first, chicken or the egg? Well, I mean, had, you have to have an egg to have a chicken or you have to have a chicken. Uh, you know, like, it's, it's kind of hard to... Maybe that's not a question that has a clear answer. But what I see in this verse, what it, when it talks about this light that shines in the darkness that was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made and revealed to him, the Bible says that the Word of God, the ultimate revelation of who God is, is Jesus. And it's Jesus that I connect with when I read the Bible. And I am treading on some dangerous ground here. Like, I, honestly, even I feel a little uncomfortable saying these things. But, you know, there are some uncomfortable facts that I think Protestant Christians who would say the Bible is central to our faith and practice, I, the Bible is central to my faith and practice, I believe that, but I think we have to kind of reckon with some, some uncomfortable truths. You know, something that Protestants don't like, to, uh, don't like to, to admit or to think about too much is that, you know, what we think of as the Bible didn't exist for like the first 300 years of Christianity, or at least not in the way that we experience it, right? The, the New Testament wasn't canonized until like the late 300s is when we said, that's it, that's the Bible, that's 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 it. And there was there was disagreement about which scriptures would count and which scriptures shouldn't count. Now, the New Testament Gospels widely proliferated, uh, more widespread than anything we have from Plato or Socrates or any ancient philosopher that would be kind of comparable. Uh, we're talking orders of magnitude, the copies of New Testament texts. I mean, like there are so many more copies of the New Testament than anything else that we would call. Uh, an ancient document from that same time period. It was widely proliferated. There were copies of the New Testament letters and the stuff that we have in the New Testament. It's really reliable, but I just I think I think that's remarkable. You know, people were following Jesus without a Bible for hundreds of years. That's that that that's a little bit like oh I need to I need to ponder that for a minute. And then when we think about access to a Bible and who could read and who was literate, you know, the, the, the Roman world in the time of the New Testament got flipped up on, upside down by the illiterate poor, by people who were not scholars, Galilean fishermen and weirdos and misfits and people who, you know, might not, might not have been completely, uh, you know, vetted in the scholarly uh, you know, academics of, of those days, especially in that first generation. And then you think about all the people who never learned to read but follow Jesus and still memorize Scripture. You know, you can, you can memorize Scripture and you can be literate in a way uh, without, without actually being able to read words on a page. Uh, you, a, a human brain has actually really uh, got an, a, a tremendous amount of memory power like if I say in West Philadelphia, born and raised. <laughs> you, anybody who watched Fresh Prince of Bel-Air growing up knows every, li- every part of that. Like your brain is good at remembering. So you can be literate in Scripture without knowing how to read. 
And that, so that's kind of like, oh, wow. So what are, we, like, what are we talking about here? What, what am I saying? Uh, let, me just, let me just clarify some things I'm not saying when I ask us to consider the centrality of the Bible in our, in our faith. I do think the Bible is central in our faith. I'm not saying that we don't need the Bible. I'm saying we do need the Bible, okay? And I'm not saying that the Bible is not reliable or authoritative. I, I actually think that it is both reliable. Uh, I think it's probably the most reliable ancient document, uh, and it is, it is authoritative. I, I want my life to look like this. And I know this is cheesy. I know I've done this before, and I'll do it again. But I want my life to be under the authority of Scripture. Okay? I want to be living my life according to what's happening in this book and according to this story, finding what God is saying in this book and living according to it. That's what I want. But here's what I am saying. I am saying that the Bible is the menu and not the meal. I'm saying the Bible is the menu and not the meal. That's something that John Wimber used to say. And he was speaking into a context. He was speaking into a context of people who were really suspicious about any supernatural activity. If it was supernatural, uh, and maybe you've experienced this, if it's supernatural, that's not something you can control. That's not something you can be sure about. And it's not something you can manufacture. It's not something that's reproducible. Uh, it requires faith. It requires risk. It requires faith. It requires risk. And it can also be really messy. And there are a lot of examples of counterfeits. And, you know, I, I think as the world kind of swings further into saying we want to move away from a disenchanted reality to an enchanted reality, looking for supernatural experiences, looking for something beyond what we can measure with uh, a test tube or a ruler, that, that we're going to see more and more hunger and more and more thirst for supernatural experiences. And I don't think that all supernatural experiences are legitimate or something that we should pursue. But Wimber was speaking into the context of the church, and he was saying, he was noticing that a lot of times it seems dead or empty. And a lot of times religion can get dead and empty where there's a lack of power, where there's a lack of experience of the supernatural. And that was what he was saying when he was saying the Bible is the menu, not the meal. If you try to eat your menu, you're going to be hungry and frustrated. And so the Bible points to a reality that is greater than itself. Well, it does make lots of self-referential statements. The Bible points to God, and it's God that we want to connect with. We want to eat the meal. We want, to, we want to commune with Jesus in such a deep way that he feeds our souls, that we're really connected in a supernatural way through the Holy Spirit to God, and the Bible is a means to that connection. Maybe one picture that kind of illustrates maybe what we're talking about when we say the Bible is the menu, not the meal, is this picture my friend took in uh, Chernobyl. My friend uh, Casey went to Chernobyl and toured that kind of ghost city, and you can see these sort of like spooky, eerie pictures of like life that was just suddenly abandoned, right? It's all these houses and all apartments of where people lived and then people just stopped living there. And you see the decay and the emptiness and the lack of life. And so if we, were to, if we were to treat the Bible like it's the only thing, uh, it leads to this situation. It leads to a spiritual deadness that is problematic. And I think maybe something that a lot of people are reacting against uh, in our current cultural moment. 
And so the Bible is the menu, not the meal. Maybe another picture, though, maybe another picture that is perhaps a little frightening, perhaps a little bit alarming, is the picture of a house on fire where everything's out of control. There is no order. There is no chaos. It's just whatever supernatural experience happens next, that's, we're totally reliant on that. And, and it's just it's chaotic and it's out of control and people get hurt and people get burned. You know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a way to fall off the horse on both sides here. There's a way to value the supernatural experience of God or the subjective experience of, of some kind of a, a spiritual uh, you know, revelation or direct interaction with God that can lead to some places that are just really weird. And, and there's a lot of history in the church of Pentecostal revival happens. The Holy Spirit moves. People get healed. People speak in tongues. People get knocked over with the power of God, roll around on the floor. People laugh, cry. All, all the supernatural stuff that happens when all heaven breaks loose. And then right after that, there will be a wave of those people leaving the faith and going off in a crazy direction that is totally you know, antithetical to the mainstream of Christian thought and belief throughout the ages. And so we don't, we don't, want, to, we don't want to have an empty house, and we don't want to burn the house down. And so my reason for saying I'm sticking with the Bible, one of the reasons I want to stick with the Bible is I want the fire in the fireplace. Okay? And so one of the things that we're doing when we're, when we're doing the prayer workshop, we're, we're trying to teach people how to engage with the supernatural stuff of God. We want to teach people how to hear God's voice and how to speak those words out loud to people in, the, in a prayer context. And we want to we help people to be able to minister healing. And, and I want to be real clear, physical healing, supernatural, spiritual, physical healing. I want to do that because Jesus did that and his early disciples did that. But I want to do that in a way that lines up with Scripture. I don't want to leave the Scriptures. I don't want to elevate the Scriptures to a place that only is fit for God, and I don't want to, but I don't want to abandon the Scriptures and burn the house down. I want the fire in the fireplace. When the fire's in the fireplace, it's warm. We can cook on it. We can, we can, we can receive life. It can, it can thaw us out. It can help us stay alive. It can help us ward off other creatures. <coughs> Excuse me. And it can keep us safe and warm and provide uh, a real home. And so we want to keep the fire in the fireplace. The reason I really want to stick with the scripture, the main reason for me that I come, I've come to over the years, is that Jesus relied on the scripture. I believe the Bible when it says that Jesus is the Word of God. I think Jesus is the way that God is revealed ultimately and finally to the world. And I think that Jesus is more than a book. Jesus is more than knowledge about this book. Jesus is a, a real being that I can interact with directly, that I don't have to... Um, I don't know, pay a toll or something to, to, to interact with. Like, he's available, he's eminent, his spirit has gone out from the temple. Like, Jesus is available to everybody. And anybody can cry out to God, and God can hear their prayer. But Jesus himself, the, the word of God, relied on the Bible. He relied on the authority of Scripture over and over and over in his life. 
fact, Jesus said this in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, which is sort of his kind of retelling of the Torah law. He said this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus relied on Scripture. Jesus affirmed the authority of Scripture. And Jesus used Scripture in and throughout his ministry, even while he was uh, critiquing people. And so, like, you know, if we just consider some of the examples of Jesus loving his Bible, you know, one of my favorite examples, and I think one that's really relevant in any discussion about the authority of the Scripture, is that Jesus uses Scripture to rebuke Satan quoting Scripture. Right? Like, that's, that's just really kind of interesting. Like, Satan, the enemy of God, the accuser, the devil, right? The, the, the opposite of Jesus, the opposite of God, right? Whatever, like, it, well, that's not quite right. But, but uh, this fallen angel who's corrupted and destro- trying to corrupt and destroy creation and trying to throw people off, off course, Satan quotes Scripture to Jesus in an attempt to tempt him to disobey God. I think about that whenever I get up here to preach. I, I try to take this really seriously. I try not to be that guy. I try not to be the one abusing and misusing Scripture. But every single time Jesus is tempted by the devil, he rebukes Satan with Scripture. He knows it better than the devil. He's studied it more. It's internalized more. He's, he's meditated on God's word. He's, in, he's memorized it. He's internalized it. He's living in obedience to it, not just studying it to make philosophical jabs and points. Jesus knows the scriptures in a deep way and in a deeper way than the religious authorities of his day. He, when he's critiquing religious authority, he critiques the religious authority with scripture oftentimes, particularly in that famous example when he's turning tables over in the, in the temple and really causing a scene, really making a ruckus, he says, you all, he says, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, quoting Isaiah, and then he says, but you are making it a den of robbers, quoting Jeremiah. I might, I might have those two switched. But he's, he's quoting scripture to critique the abuse of spiritual authority. When he's teaching the disciples, Jesus will often refer to the scriptures. He refers in Luke chapter 4, he he quotes Isaiah 61 or in in John 6.45. There's a bunch of examples where Jesus refers back to what God has spoken in the past and what was written down. And so we can know Jesus is, he's saying, I'm continuing this story. I'm doing this thing that has been done in the past. That same God that you've worshipped and known, I'm revealing that to you with more authority and with more clarity. And then even, I think one of the most powerful examples is just 
in his moment of desperate need and pain, when Jesus is on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he, he, reaches for those, he reaches for those song lyrics. He reaches for those prayers that have been prayed by the Jewish people over the centuries and over the different periods of Israel being in a place of political power and Israel being in exile and Israel being in a, a place of, of holy reverence and, and obedience to God and, and Israel being in terrible rebellion that is disgusting and worthy of judgment. Like, through all of it, people have prayed these prayers. There's something valuable there. Jesus knew the value of it. He embodied that. He practiced it as a lifestyle. And then in his moment of need, he reached for that song. He reached for those song lyrics to express his need to God and his hope that God would still hear him and save him. Jesus himself really used and, 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 and engaged with his Bible. And then we see his earliest followers doing the same thing, right? We see even in the writing of the Gospels, you know, Matthew especially really loves to quote Scripture to say, and the reason Jesus did this is because it says in the prophets, yada, yada, yada. We see that Peter and others that are preaching in Acts will take a passage of Scripture and, and say, this is how Jesus fulfilled this. This is Jesus fulfilling what the prophets said would take place. This stuff that you read in Joel, that was talking about Jesus, and now it's happening. This is the time. Come to Jesus. We see in all the early church correspondence, all the letters, Paul quotes Scripture, Peter quotes Scripture, John quotes Scripture. They're always quoting Scripture to each other to make their points and to make sure that they are grounded in this reality, in this story that God is writing over the centuries and millennia. And then, you know, you can't understand the apocalypse or revelation. You can't understand that last book of the Bible unless you have a thorough knowledge of everything written before it. It really has so many references in so many cases. So really the whole New Testament is really just riffing on everything that came before. It's one story. And the thing that's amazing about this book that we've been handed down, one, it's amazing that we have so many copies, that so many are printed, that we can just give copies away for free and it's available on the internet and 100 translations, 100 English translations. Like, it, What's amazing is that this isn't... This isn't just some book that some guy wrote. This isn't L. Ron Hubbard's book. I might offend somebody a little bit here. This isn't even the Quran. It's not the, it's not the, it's not the subjective experience of one person. This is something that was composed and inspired by God over many years, thousands of years, by lots of different people. In lots of different times, in lots of different situations, God inspired all of those authors to give us something that could ground us, something that could help us stay connected when the foundations are shaking and when it seems like the house is burning down, when we're questioning what is really real, what can we rely on. The scriptures have kept people grounded throughout the centuries and throughout the ages. And so I just think it's important that we stick with it and that we don't blame the instruction manual. You know, read it more carefully. Read it deeper. Pay attention to each little piece.
as we're building a life of faith. I want to just kind of finish by reading a little more of the scripture that I think is maybe relevant to these topics. And when we're in the midst of deconstruction, we're trying to build something back, we're trying to build something better. I think it's important to keep the faith. And we have this example. We have this intercepted correspondence from, from Paul to his protege, Timothy. He writes this, and this is a long passage, and I'm just, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to let the Bible speak to us, okay? Hear what, hear what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said this, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, but he just keeps going, right? Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They're the kind who worm their way into homes and, control, and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They're men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because in the case of those men, their folly, as in the case of those men, uh, their folly will be clear to everyone, as is in the case of Jambus and the guys that opposed Moses. That's, that's the reference there. So, uh, you, however, you, Timothy, you, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. 
Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved the world, deserted me, and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to blah, blah, blah. blah. And then you kind of get a bunch of really hard names and really specific information that was kind of at the end of, of Paul's letter there because we, it's kind of like we hacked into Paul's email, right? We're reading this letter that Paul wrote. It's a primary source. The Bible's full of primary sources that we see and we can get from what, what Paul wrote to Timothy what, what he believed and what he was about and why he believed what he believed and what he was about. This thing has happened through the centuries and the eons, and we get to live in the time when Jesus has revealed himself clearly. And the Bible helps us to see that. And we are able to engage with it that way. So what do we do? What, what are some things we do? How do we respond? You know, honestly, I feel like my points this week are, uh, I just did a copy and paste of last week. I think my main takeaways here are, are two things. It's, it's important to go slow. If you want to rebuild to last, you want to rebuild something that you don't have to tear it down to the foundation and completely rebuild it again. You want to make smaller repairs. You want to make smaller improvements as you go along. You want to avoid major renovations as much as possible then be thorough and go slow. Look at what the scriptures say. What do they actually say? Take some time to think about it. Take some time to pray through it. Take some time to interact with the scripture in a way that is deeper than just intellectual study, but that we're really trying to get what is God saying and how do I respond? How do I hear that word that was with God at the beginning? How do I obey him? And then we, we want to build a life, not just ideas. We don't want to just keep it out here in the abstract. It's got to it's gotta sink into our, to our hearts and affect our actions and our behavior. And that happens when we're transformed by the love of God. You know, I've got a couple of, I've got some, some papers on the tables back there. little three-column study. I found that that has been really useful to me in, in engaging with the Scripture in a deeper way of just taking the time to really like pick a translation and just rewrite it word for word. A little passage, a couple paragraphs, whatever. Parable of Jesus, something like that. And just, just rewrite it word for word. Because here's the thing, writing is thinking. I don't know if you know this or not. Like When you write, it forces you to think. It really forces you, especially handwriting, forces you to consider every word. What does that word mean? It, helps, it slows us down. And it's kind of a physical way to really interact with the scriptures. That's part of the tradition of scribing that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law used to participate in, and it's, it's something I think could easily come back, that, that practice of just rewriting. And then maybe take a, take a little bit of time to say, okay, if I were going to restate this, not trying to rewrite the Bible, but just trying to make, make sense. How, what does this mean? What does this mean to me? How, how is God speaking to me through this? And then to say, what, what am I going to do in response? How does this change how I live? What, what's the t- like, what, do I, what do I need to do? I should probably make a plan to implement something that I'm learning here in some way or share it with someone. So those are really good questions to ask. And it's a really good thing to do on our own. It's also a really good thing to do in community. I'm hoping, once the weather warms up especially, that we can get some more uh, Discovery Bible study groups going where we kind of do this process in community. 
it's so, much, it's so much better when we can do it in community because asking those questions, what is it saying? And then kind of getting to a place where we really agree about what it's saying. And then talking about what does it mean? What, you know, how do we, what's the takeaway from this? How, can we get to a place where we really agree? Having another perspective on that is really helpful in making sure that we do get it, that we do understand it, that we do understand the material. And then having community to say, all right, hey, this is what I'm going to try this week. Please ask me about this next week because I, I need to know that somebody is checking on me. I need to know that, uh, that someone's going to ask me about this. That's such a good and healthy way to do life with Jesus, and that's what we want to do in starting small groups. That's maybe not the most uh, emotionally satisfying ending, but that's about all I have to say. So <laughs> would you stand? We want to do the stuff that's in the book. We don't want to just talk about it. Let me do this again. Oh, you're going to pull it over there. Okay. Um, you're good. Do your thing. I, uh, we want to experience it, right? We want what's beyond the book. We want, we want the meal, not just the menu. And so I would just say, hey, if you've got something going on in your life where you just say, man, I, just, I have a need. I need God to show up. I need... I need God to meet me. Uh, come forward. Like, we just trained some people to pray. Like, you're all equipped now. Get prayer or pray for somebody else. Um, I just also would say, like, maybe some of us are a little convicted about, like, our own study habits, like, or our own, our own engagement with the Scripture. Like, maybe we're feeling like, I'm just bored or I'm stuck or, like, yeah, I used to do that, but I haven't done that in a while. And I would just say, hey, it's, it's okay to talk about that and it's okay to get prayer about that. Um, God doesn't want to condemn you, uh, but he does want to invite you to go deeper, and there's more. There's more there. Uh, there's more for you to receive from the Lord through the scriptures, and, and I think God would, would want to give you something today. Um, or if you just want prayer about anything, uh, having doubts, whatever, uh, please just come up and get prayer. All right.